0: Well, Robert Hunt Financial Market Update Community, it's a special day. We have the gift of hearing from Mr. Nelson Hunt, my brother and estate attorney in Dallas. All the questions that you and I have wanted to know about what it is an estate planning attorney actually does and how it is that those type of folk can help us. So on this unique RHF Market Update series, this interview series, And this is our first, so don't worry, you haven't missed any. Mr. Nelson Hunt, undergrad, University of Virginia, law school, SMU Dedman School of Law. He got his LLM in taxation from New York University School of Law. He practices at his firm, Nelson H. Hunt PLLC. He's board certified with the Texas Board of Legal Specialization estate, planning, and probate law. And he does a lot of stuff, so I'd send you to his website, NelsonHunt.com, if you want to learn more or find ways to engage him in his services, but without further ado, here we go. Okay, so it is a delight and a pleasure here at the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. We've got our interview today, and guys, we could have brought in anyone, and you know that, and I know that, the podcast is at such a level that the phone gets picked up, But we have a very special guest, per the uh, intro I just recorded, Mr. Nelson Hunt, estate attorney extraordinaire. As many of you know, Nelson is a fan of the show himself and also a believer in keeping his costs low, his investing simple, and his time horizon long. So uh, for those of you in the studio, please keep your applause at a minimum here as we try to answer questions. Let us give a warm Robert Hunt Financial welcome to Nelson Hunt. Okay, keep it down back there. Keep it down. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Yes, it's a light to have here. So guys, I just want to say, having an estate attorney like Nelson, who's my brother, has been such a blessing to the practice. I can just text him and ask him questions, but occasionally, I thought, you know what we need? We need dedicated time with Nelson. We need the, the brain, the mind in the studio so I can ask all those questions I want to ask about estate planning, wills, et cetera. So, Nelson, as, as a client comes into the Robert Robinhood Financial world, one of my checklist items on every, I, every client has a checklist. I got like a, a 15 point checklist. One of those checklists, like a car, is do you have an estate plan? So what I, I want to know, Ms. I'm always trying to keep my costs low. So, you know, that's my, I'm always operandi, That's my default position. Um, you know who my father is. So that's always, <laughs> that's, that's pretty well genetically ingrained. But what, what happens, what, why do we need an estate plan? Like what what hap- like okay, so let's say I just get married or I'm a single person, why do I need any plan at all? Why can't I just uh as they say, just go cold, just go cold turkey, I don't need anything. Why do I need to meet with someone like you
1: yeah so the the primary reason that brings people in usually is when they have a child, they'll want a guardian of their children named in some document, and so uh married couples usually are uncomfortable with the concept that that's undecided, and if they were to die, uh it would be up to a judge to to appoint a guardian of a minor child, so oftentimes uh being able to name that person is is what brings clients in, and that's done in a will. Uh, another uh, issue that, that brings people in is just wanting certainty about where their property goes at their death. Now, there are uh, what are called intestacy rules in Texas that say this is where your property goes if you don't have a will, but clients oftentimes like to have the certainty, and that's what a will provides as to where their property is going to go um, if something were to happen. Okay, so
0: you said something about intestines. Okay, so hold on. You said intestacy, <laughs> hold up. So you're saying if I don't have a will, there's something called intestacy, rhymes with intestines, not intestines, intestacy rules that the state of Texas provides? That's right, yeah. Okay, so, what uh, is that? like? Okay, so let's, again, I'm Mr. Frugal. I just don't even want to, let's say I just go cold here. What, what What's happening? What, what occurs there?
1: Yeah, so th- those rules... Uh, uh partition or or divide everything you own as a married person into community and separate property and they say this is where your separate property goes and this is where your community property goes and generally speaking all your community property is going to go to your spouse under those intestacy rules but there are some differences when it comes to separate property as to what would uh happen to that property again if you died without a will
0: okay and it's, and it's, okay separate versus community right okay mm-hmm. Yeah. Five dollar words here, class. So okay, so so help us what would just community property be like? What is what is community property versus separate property?
1: Yeah, so uh in Texas and in a handful of other states, there's what's called a, a community property system. Uh-huh. And and that means that the presumption for a married couple is that everything that the husband owns and everything that the wife owns, no matter how it's titled, is considered community property unless it can be demonstrated otherwise. And there are only a, a couple instances where uh, property could be demonstrated to to not be community to be separate. That's property that you own at the time you get married. Okay. Property that you inherit during the marriage. Okay. Um, either by gift or uh, or uh, by bequest. Okay. Or or property that becomes your separate property through either a premarital agreement or a postmarital
0: okay. agreement. Okay. Okay. So just by just bouncing ideas here, if I have a Chiefs jersey signed by Tomark Vanover another greats of yesteryear and I brought that into the marriage with me is I, I, is that separate that is separate okay so so memorabilia swag now what if what if you know benevolent man that I am I wanted to ensure that that was not separate is that something that would be that would be something hey you would sit down husband and wife and I say, hey I want to make sure Molly gets this signed jersey of all the 1990s Chiefs greats I would have to stipulate that because otherwise it would just default to Am I well, saying,
1: am I thinking about that right? Well, when it comes to your your at-death, your testamentary estate plan, even your separate property uh, is is probably going to go to your spouse. Great, okay. Uh, if, That's as, long, a relief. as long as you have a will, and there's okay. there's some nuance to that. Yeah. But one thing that, that that brings to mind is that it's fairly common for married couples who have some items of separate property to do what's called a conversion agreement, mm-hmm. where they both sign it. And it uh, it would say, in your case, the this mm-hmm. chief's jersey that was my separate property is mm-hmm. now yours and Molly's community property, considered owned one half by each of you. Okay. And there are some tax reasons uh, why that may be beneficial for couples. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's part of the conversation whenever they uh, engage in estate planning. Interesting.
0: Okay, that... That does help. Okay, so oftentimes, okay, what, I, what I've heard is, okay, great, there's this intestate business, the state of Texas, just this worst case. If we go worst case, we just do nothing. The scary part, what I'm hearing from you, is it really is who's going to take care of the kids. Like, that's what brings in a lot of couples, because yes. you're saying if husband and wife pass simultaneously in a train accident, and it's not, let's say it's not clear, what well, what does happen in those situations? So what, like, again, let's say we were, we were not wise. We didn't have an estate plan. We had children. Heaven forbid parents pass away. So what's the process? What happens?
1: Yeah, so I I, I don't handle those matters, so I don't have personal experience. Yeah. But generally speaking, a, a judge will make a determination mm-hmm. As to who should be the guardian okay. of the minor children and people and, will put themselves forward perhaps like a grandparent right would compete in a way okay. that's right and okay. so you, you'd, you'd prefer to have something in writing yes. from the parents saying this is who we would designate and yeah. and now to ju- jump off of that point a, a little bit uh, another uh, uh, downside of a uh, big downside of, of dying without a will is not just the uncertainty as to guardians of your minor children but it would mean that your your probate looks much different if you die without a will and in particular you have to go through what's called an airship determination and that involves essentially uh, getting a third party to go investigate your family history and in in particular Investigate whether you had any children Mm -hmm. outside the marriage and things like that Mm -hmm. and and reach a conclusion and present it to the judge saying this is his family. If you do a will, your will says, this is my spouse. Mm -hmm. These are my children. And so uh, and then your will is admitted to probate. You avoid that whole airship determination process. It's costly. It's, It's time intensive. Uh, probating
0: a will and, is much and spell clearer. the word airship for our listeners. H E I. Okay, did you hear that? Took me a little while to catch that. I'm thinking H-I-B-R-T. we got a blimp coming in here. No. It's the airship, <laughs> it's the air and because you, you jump on the airship, no, it says air. H E. Yes. Okay, great. And then and I'd define probate. as the word you mean. Just just what what is that? Yeah. So probate uh, is
1: the uh, probates, the name of a court, um, they're called statutory probate courts in Dallas and and other cities have statutory probate courts. So it refers to a court. And then the process really refers to the act of after someone dies, filing their will with the court, and then having a hearing, uh, where the judge says, this is a valid will. And I hereby number one, admit it to probate. I say Mm. it's valid. I say, uh, it's going to be admitted to probate. And then number two, Typically, the judge appoints the executor mm. and gives that person what are called letters testamentary, okay. and that those letters testamentary give the executor the legal authority to act with respect to the decedent's property, to go to the mm. bank and say, this bank account was in the name of the decedent, uh, I want to transfer the
0: money, or I want to retitle the account okay. in the name of the estate. They're- and even if, and forgive me, even if, like, a husband and a wife, let's say the husband passes... It's going through probate. Typically, yes, yeah. So
1: if and, unless, and and it may not
0: be that the wife is the person who's the who's actually running that process. Not necessarily, but but sometimes. A, almost always.
1: Okay. Spouses will name each other, each other as, as their the, primary okay. executive. and they and
0: they will do that in consultation with someone like you and a state attorney. That's part of the game plan, is it? right. Okay. okay, so you'll go through that, and then and then how is that process? Because I know sometimes in your work, don't people just like hire someone like you just to be that person to help. Uh, Guide to so uh, the
1: probate, an executor will will hire a lawyer. So to, I, I, in all instances, uh, yes, you it's, can't uh, just it's run a gun. Required. required. You, okay. you, you cannot uh, uh, represent yourself. So-called so be, be pro se before the court. You're Lawyers' to, the union loves that. That's deal, right. Keep keep
0: the bills going, boys.
1: You're required to, to hire a lawyer, I see, yeah. uh, and, and and so naming your spouse as executor is not necessarily setting them up to have to navigate uh, that on their yeah. own. Your, your spouse is going to hire an attorney that will handle all uh, these probate court filings yeah. and really hold their hand through that process.
0: And then what... Okay, so let's... This, this comes up all the time. You know, all these vanguards, fidelities, banks, all these folks are always telling us like, okay, like named account stuff, like, you know, beneficiary information. What advice do you give people on... Okay, great. If I've got my will... So let's say they went to Nelson Hunt or someone... 80% as good as you and elected to kind of say hey look I'm going to you know this is the plan the wheels tight everything's good do they need to mess with that sort of beneficiary information on those good accounts or like what how do you think about that so most people already name their spouse as
1: their primary beneficiary on their retirement accounts and okay. in life insurance policies and I won't recommend that they do anything different except in extraordinary cases. I'll usually what say. What about brokerage? You didn't say brokerage accounts. So well, yeah. Brokerage so accounts? brokerage accounts is different. And, and you want to avoid payable on death designations or survivorship designations, generally speaking, with, okay. with your brokerage. Why? We got to, let's talk about that. Yeah. So um, the general reason is payable on death and survivorship accounts trump what's in your will. Okay. And so, even if your will says I leave it all to person A, mm-hmm. if you own a survivorship account or a payable on death account that leaves it to person B, mm-hmm. that that designation is going to win out. And person. So what? So, a wow. is so let's just for folks copy.
0: in the back, did y'all hear that? <laughs> hey, let's. Hey, okay, that's a big deal. So what I'm hearing you say, Nelson, is even if you get a top notch lawyer like you, you roll through the will. It's locked and loaded. Eyes dotted, T's crossed. But you err on your in your Vanguard Fidelity account and you, you put on those deals that your beneficiaries are X, Y, and Z, and that's different than the will. You're telling me the fidelity and Vanguard information trump the will. Exactly. Wow. So that's uh, so, I mean that's that um and I'm sure that happens with folks and I'm sure it's it's yes. not good. But but what was in what I hear you saying though is why why were you so kind of lenient on these IRA deals and why were you so tough love with us on these brokerage accounts? Why the distinction?
1: Yeah, so uh in, in, in both cases, you have to be careful, but the, the sensitivity on the IRAs is that they are treated differently for tax purposes, mm-hmm. so there is some significance to how you leave them, and in particular, I'll do estate plans where the documents may call for property to go into a trust for a spouse, mm. but oftentimes, I'll still recommend that their IRAs name their spouse outright hmm. and not in trust. And generally speaking, naming a spouse outright as a beneficiary of an IRA or a 401k Hmm. is more income tax efficient than putting those assets into uh, a trust.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So you've got your tax hat on as well as an estate planner. You're right. You're you're, you're thinking about different buckets here that you can help people with. Okay, that's. That That is helpful, and, and I want to just bring the listeners into a little experiment we ran years ago and just get your thoughts on it today. This is something people ask me all the time. So here at the Robert Hunt Financial, you know, not only market update, but the IRA practice, we serve a wide range of folks. Some of these folks are coming in, and they're, some of them are just out of college, kind of ready to go, ready to go. Other folks are high net worth to very high net worth, and therefore, you know, expending resource on someone like you is really a, not even a, a blip on the radar Walk us through that experiment we ran where we were seeking to use, you know, legalzoom.com or just some of these lower-cost alternatives. And, like, how, what are your thoughts on, on, on those today? How did our experiment go? And, then, and, then, and what, are your, what are your thoughts today? For, for the more, um, i say, cost-conscious consumer, because it may not be that everybody can spend, and, you know, I don't know if you want to be on record for what you charge. It's, it's, a, it's a fine value. But, I don't, but, but if they don't want to do the sit-down and the couple grand here... And they want to do the one hundred eighty Legal Zoom, walk us through how you would advise someone like that. Just as uh, more sure. as a more as a brother than as a, a estate plan. Let's say kind of just you're just looking at someone here. How do you help them? Yeah. So our experience coming out of that uh, uh,
1: experiment was, when a client does a legal Zoom or or uses some other program to do their will, uh, oftentimes the will looks good, but it's not signed correctly. And it
0: seems like a simple right, tell thing. Tell us what that means. What, what does it mean to be signed correctly? Because I, I, in yeah. my mind, you just write a signature. How could you mess up a signing?
1: Right. So uh, in Texas, for a will that's uh, printed, not handwritten, but, but uh, printed, typed out, mm-hmm. to be valid, it has to be signed by the testator, the person making the will, mm-hmm. and also signed by two witnesses. Okay. And then on top of that, almost always when you're doing a will, especially doing a will with an attorney you'll have included what's called a self-proving affidavit at the back of the will. Okay. And that is also signed by two witnesses and mm. by a notary. And
0: also, sorry, by the testator, again. Ah, uh, so this, this it smells like German engineering. I'm already hearing like four different things that could go wrong yes. here. So and, I see, okay.
1: And, and and so because there are multiple places to sign, mm-hmm. and and also because of just the practical headache of rounding up witnesses and typically mm-hmm. you do not want your family members to be witnesses of your will okay uh it, it it's hard for clients who are doing it on their own to get it across the finish line uh,
0: yeah that makes sense and and it also i mean i, I i'm from that same experiment i mean that while there are cost savings that that was we we actually tried i think three different platforms and it wasn't just legal zoom and this is not a diamond on legal zoom what i think what what nelson's saying is it it's a little more than just dying the I and crossing the T. There's this kind of emotional, can you push through? And I've heard you say this, Nelson, sometimes, and it's hard for me, I've got down on my list when I've got a little checklist, need to get the will done. And sometimes it stays on there for like three years. Because yeah, right. denial of death, we all have it in a sense. It's, uh, death is something that happens to someone else, but uh, it's so critical that, that that we plan on this. So this comes up in questioning, Nelson, and it's usually the case that Folks believe, and this may, you know, this is where you can set the record straight here, Nelson Hunt. Folks believe there's a little bit of a Wizard of Oz here. And behind the curtain in estate planning, there are kind of alchemists that can turn metal into gold in estate planning. Meaning, and it's always kind of this the reason I say Wizard of Oz, it's always a man behind a curtain in a sense and smoke and mirrors, and it's all confusing. But sometimes I'll sit with clients who are high net worth and they kind of say, hey, what's, I want to kind of do the secret sauce. How do you, um, how do you coach folks in those situations? Someone who may may be above this this you know, estate taxes. Uh, if I could be so bold in the presence of a, of a state attorney, there are limits the government has for us per person on what can pass through your estate without taxation. So oftentimes people will employ someone like Nelson as a means of avoiding that. Nelson, could you just walk us through how do you even counsel folks in that manner? And is this wizard of all things true? Are there really levers that the wealthy have that? Perhaps they can pull and push on um, that the rest of us on LegalZoom.com can't do. Like, what's what's going on behind the curtain? What are you guys doing over there?
1: Yes. Well, I I I, uh, I will say it's partly true that there are techniques that are expensive because they require time and effort on the part of a ballpark hit me day. with
0: numbers you say expensive no one knows what that means 10 yeah, so grand
1: 5 grand 30 grand yeah in the range of 10 to fifteen thousand. okay 20, so kind 000, of a dollars. okay
0: 15 year old 10 year old camry eight year old camry
1: right and and
0: typically where you get
1: fees in that range is is because you have complicated planning you mm. have multiple documents that need to be drafted you have Memos that need to be uh, prepared, uh, describing the strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there and and oftentimes there's a lot of maintenance that goes along with structures that are created, whether it's trusts or mm-hmm. partnerships. Oftentimes mm-hmm. there's loans involved. Mm-hmm. So kind of the the part behind uh. the curtain, uh, th- there is a lot going on, but it's also not a free lunch. You're always paying with complexity, uh, and. And and so, that's that's just one thing that every client has to take into account. And in mm-hmm. in my practice, I have to get comfortable that the client is is uh, has the, the appetite for complexity to kind mm-hmm. of venture into those waters. All that said, there's some straightforward planning that is less kind of behind the curtain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And and typically, that will revolve around using your seventeen thousand dollar. Per year gift mm-hmm. tax exclusion. Mm-hmm. That's a real simple way to move property downstream, so to speak, from parents to children. Uh-huh. There are ways to do that without an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of that's funding. always nice, kind of sidestep the attorney. Thank right. you for saying something about it. And and there are different vehicles you can use that to fund five twenty nine accounts, mm-hmm. educational savings accounts. Mm-hmm. You can use that seventeen thousand dollar exclusion to fund. Uh, Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account, mm-hmm. so-called custodial accounts, mm-hmm. then you can go to a lawyer and, and create what are called crummy trusts named after a court case that demonstrated this technique where you create a trust, give the $17,000 exclusion to it and give the child a withdrawal right. Those are some of the simpler ways to, to move assets downstream. But when you start talking about making larger gifts that typically require filing a gift tax return, mm-hmm. uh, that's where a little bit more complexity comes in. And then especially when you start talking about uh, techniques that are designed to move property at no gift tax cost, whether that's sales mm-hmm. or grantor retained annuity trusts, those bring in a, a kind of a new level of sophistication that, that requires uh,
0: uh, legal help, legal fees. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that sophistication. Nelson. Something that I've run into a couple times that has always perplexed me and I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. it. Is oftentimes I will meet someone usually for the first time and I'll be trying to get my arms around their investing. So kind of where is the money and how's investing? I call it autopsy without blame because we don't want to we want to create a safe environment for anyone can kind of tell me what they're doing. And oftentimes what happens, particularly with 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 older clients who've uh, accrued a deal of wealth for themselves is the clients will be in many ways, as I see it, chained to the complexity of an estate plan so much so that they can't even tell me what monies they're allowed to get, when they're allowed to get it, uh, because of the various, not your practice, of course, but I, I could imagine it would happen. Either the client says what they want, you execute on it, and all of a sudden, 10 years later, they really don't know how it works, or what, and they can't describe it to me, and all of a sudden, I'm on the phone with an estate planning person, and they, you know, it, it just seems like a mess, um, and and usually, usually as I see it, no sense, usually uh, it feels politically motivated. Sometimes maybe the Democrats are getting in; they're going to hammer down on this, this, this exemption amount in a big way. So you better get your ducks in order yesterday. And, and all of a sudden you have all this complexity. And I, I look up and I sometimes think, gosh, like, was the juice worth the squeeze? Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. How do you address? You mentioned complexity. How do you address that complexity? I see it from an investor advisor's perspective, where I just don't like it. I hate all of it. There's not a single ounce of the complexity that I, I think is appealing. I see deer in headlights with clients. I, it, it, it bothers me when people don't know what money they can use. And then it bothers me that I myself can look at the flow chart, some estate planning person, put together. I think, ugh, what in the world? How, how do you address that yourself with your practice, with your people? What, what advice would you give in a situation like that to someone?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, one way that I address that would be to emphasize the client doing their testamentary their at death estate plan first mm-hmm. before they engage in any so called inter vivos or lifetime planning. And I think usually the mm. lifetime planning leads to the, the type of complexity that yes, you're talking about. Yes, that's
0: exactly what's happening.
1: Yes. So, so a te- you can do a testamentary plan that takes full advantage of the available gift, or really estate, mm-hmm. and GST tax yes. exemption amounts available. That's Generation Skipping
0: day. Trust, he's using acronyms, <laughs> Generation Skipping Trust is what that GST was. Right.
1: And so you, you can get clients uh, across that finish line so they have oh. a, a, their testamentary plan. And that doesn't involve any during life complexity they may as part of that plan have a revocable trust okay. that, and and maybe they'll put assets into that but maybe not but even if they put assets into that revocable trust they can take it out themselves there's really no okay choice.
0: this is this is great so just mechanically just i'll say this so so let's say someone does this like great they don't have to do all the complexities in life meaning we're not throwing things into different shells and correct me when i say something wrong and i'm not right. trying to great it's just when they die that's when it kicks in, and that's when the money flows to these various vehicles. Yeah, and so that's when there's
1: some more complexity that's introduced, and uh, so yes. You, but but but
0: that. but at, at the base level, what I hear you saying, what I think should be an encouragement to people, were you, if if you, sometimes people don't know what to order from the restaurant. So even before they go right. to an estate plan, I feel like there's an intimidation factor on. Well, I don't even know what to say. But what I hear you saying is the kitchen at the estate planning kitchen can cook up something that says, "Hey, look." We don't have to jack with any of your existing investing structures as they exist today, correct? Yes. We can actually right. put something in place that it actually is, once you pass, that's when maybe some of that German engineering kicks on. But in the, in the, in the interim, in this present state, you, you really don't have to do all these um, peculiar things that will make you ask the questions that I receive sometimes, which is, I don't even know what money I'm allowed to spend. Is that, is that fair? Someone can come to you and kind of ask, hey, man, just keep it simple in the lifetime and then, and then uh, do, the, do the fancy footwork at death?
1: Yeah, that, that, that's right. And every client has a different uh, mm. appetite for complexity, but that's certainly an option on the table for even the wealthy client who whose combined estate is well in excess of the of the twenty six million dollar exclusion. Mm-hmm. They can keep it simple during life and
0: and
1: uh, and, and keep their financial life
0: simpler. Hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, I, I, I feel like that's, it almost takes, and, I, and you're, you're cut from a similar cloth. Here at the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update, we keep our costs low. We keep our time rising long. We keep our investing simple. If Nelson Hunt were to have a Nelson Hunt legal podcast, would you be keeping your uh, estate planning simple? <laughs> I, I think so. Okay. We've got him on and I think so, which is, yeah. that's a lot for a lawyer. For those of you listening in the back, okay, that's a big deal. If a lawyer says he thinks so, that's a very, that's almost a yes with exclamation point. Because I, I, I feel like that, and, and, and I know that's the true of you before I ask that, but I, I feel like that to me is oftentimes kind of this, you know, sheep to the slaughter moment when people do go into any lawyer's office and they don't exactly have a clarity on what outcome they want. And of course, like any great helper a lawyer would be, they might say, oh, we can cook up all sorts of beautiful things that are perfectly legal and optimize oh by the way for tax efficiency but they're not thinking about this human element this management element this investing element they're not they're not looking at it full circle and so that's why i like um i like trying to get people on the same page whether it's me or you or me another estate planner or you and some subpar financial advisor there's always you're always (laughs) wanting to put people on the same page and that's why i would encourage anyone listening I would be suspicious of any time siloing these things, like any time an estate planner is saying, I would want the financial advisor part and parcel knowing what's going on. I think, Nelson, you would agree with that. Yeah,
1: I would agree with that. And I just want to say that my uh, my I think and maybe my hesitation on, on uh, 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 endorsing wholeheartedly uh, uh, avoidance of complexity, there is, of course... Uh, uh, well, not of course, but we just haven't really gotten into this topic. There is an estate tax exemption amount that's currently $12.92 million per person. Mm-hmm. And under current law, that amount does decrease to around 6 or $7 million on December 31st of 2025. And for certain clients, yeah. it's... And generally speaking, to add to that, if you can make taxable gifts before that date and then that law... Uh, uh, is, you know, stays on the books and, and the exemption amount is allowed to sunset, you are able to move more assets into trust vehicles mm-hmm. or, or other vehicles outside of your estate than you will be after December 31st, 2015. There was a similar cliff, so to speak, in 2012. There was a lot of estate planning done around 2012 uh, for that reason, to move assets uh, out of a client's estate or into a trust vehicle so that if the client uh, then later passed away mm. uh, the, the client's estate would have gotten the benefit of that pre-December 31st higher exemption amount. So that is something that, especially as we get closer to the end of 2025, mm. that will be a, a, a frequent topic of conversation, not only among estate planners, but financial advisors and and uh, estate planners, myself included, will make a sincere push probably to to recommend that very high net worth clients at least consider moving assets uh, into trust or doing other types of planning that will allow them to take advantage of that higher exemption amount before it sunsets.
0: Well said and super helpful. And it, that, that is exactly what gets on people's minds and gets them going. And then this is always, this is a point of history. Nelson, I think you taught me this or someone else. Trivia question. No one in the audience answer this. When was the last time the estate, tax exemption amount was reduced
1: yeah so there was a blip in 2010 of all yeah when for a year state tax went away for one year uh but other than that uh my understanding is that generally the exemption amount has gone up every year consistently uh i think for since six Ge- or seven decades since george least.
0: washington crossed mm-hmm. the delaware or oh well, okay. since the estate tax
1: was enacted uh, okay. over 100 years ago.
0: Okay. And that is always interesting. I think I think both things need to, you know, it could be in this 2025, this is the cliff, and therefore what Nelson is saying, very wise. Kind of get, if you need to do something, it kind of does make sense. It creates a little bit of a sense of urgency to do something. Maybe you should have done otherwise, but at least maybe creates this, um, even if the Democrats or Republicans like this as a, football to perpetually punt back and forth for their various constituencies is it at least could create a sense of urgency that people could do good planning otherwise and oh by the way yes it helps that 2025 is is coming um, mm-hmm. with this interview it's been it i tell you we've covered a lot here we've covered a lot of good things i always like to ask though before we close i, I want to well i've got a couple questions so maybe maybe don't turn off keep your keep your radios dialed in one is what are mistakes that you see people make when they come to you that you try to coach them out of? What are, what are things that you're kind of common occurrences that you say, eh, man, I wish wish I could have maybe twisted their arm to do this more. I wish people came in with a better understanding of this. What What can the Robert Hunt Financial community maybe not make a mistake that you, you see in your work?
1: Yeah, so that, that's a great question. Uh, one that comes to mind is for one of two spouses, to be engaged and the other not. And mm-hmm. so in my experience, I, I do a lot of planning where I represent both spouses and that's typically the more efficient way to do it. Uh, and, and in my experience, when I have only one spouse contact me and, and say that spouse says, oh, I just want to meet with you and I can just tell my spouse later what we talked about, uh, the planning almost never goes anywhere. And so that's mistake number one mm. is is not getting your spouse on board mm-hmm. uh, initially for that, uh, initial meeting. Um, another might be just getting, uh, too caught up in, as you're suggesting, uh, complex planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I, I have some kind of projects that seem to go on longer than they should. Um, because a a client is, is maybe enamored with a complex structure and, and I'm happy to help the client and assist them and counsel them in that direction. But I, and I, I, if I would, this this isn't really a legal judgment, but my my perception is is that uh, sometimes that uh, sentiment is kind of based on this peer pressure idea of, hey, my my partners in my firm yes. Um, yes. all talk about doing a family limited partnership, yes. or they they all talk about uh, creating this certain type of trust mm-hmm. structure, and so I, I feel like I need to do that, and sometimes that that leads to some wheel spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, so so point number two might just be make sure that you're. Thinking for yourself and and with with the advice of of financial advisors and estate planning attorneys, mm-hmm. make sure you're thinking for yourself about what works for you in in terms of planning. Um, so, and those would really be my, my two big mm. takeaways: get your spouse involved, mm-hmm. and then and then do what works for you, not what somebody else might be telling you you should do.
0: Well said, and I, I think that's a great corollary to investing as well. I mean, both of those things, I can I can certainly attest that getting a spouse involved and then don't. Do what your friends tell you to do with investing, right? Isn't that what we preach here at the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update? What the Nelson Hunt legal update, he's telling you the same thing. He's telling you, hey, like, don't just look to the left and the right and decide, hey, this looks complicated and this sounds cool. And oh, by the way, what fun water cooler talk is it to say, you know, I did some whoopsie doopsie lipo trust XYZ. sounds cool until you got to, you know, on the back end, figure it out. So very, very wise words. Uh well Nelson I'll close us to close with this question, on a scale of one to ten how much do you like index funds? Eleven. Oh man, <laughs> that's what we like to hear. Well Nelson, on behalf of the whole Robert Hunt Financial community, we appreciate your time, appreciate you coming in, and I will say the Nelson is certainly a um, frequent referral here for the Robert Hunt Financial market update. And I would encourage you, it sounds, this has been the case previously, but a a complimentary call is not out of order. So if someone desires a 10 or 15 minute look at Nelson Hunt and your process, they can do, is there a deal like that where you can help them? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and that's something I should mention. So yeah, I I take uh,
1: quick calls all the time from financial advisors or or potential clients. Um, And uh, a lot of that, some of that by phone, some by email, um, but just to give you a cadence of my process, and this is probably typical of most estate planning lawyers, usually it'll start with an hour and a half meeting, and the goal with and if you're married with both you and your spouse, um, and the goal of that meeting is to talk about everything we would need to discuss for me to uh, prepare your what are called testamentary estate planning documents. That includes not only your will, but also a slate of disability documents, powers of attorney that everyone typically does when they do an estate plan, and I'd, I'd quote you a fee at the end of that meeting. Um, sign you up as a client, and then uh, my office would draft the documents, and you'd, you'd come back uh, once more for a signing. Almost all will signings are in person at an attorney's office, uh, typically because of the issue we mentioned before, which is it's it's uh, a little bit tricky to get every document signed properly. And so we, we I guide you through that signing process, and then uh, you end up with your all your hard copies of your documents and electronic copies. So um, you're, you're Time spent has really just been two meetings, the hour and a half intake, and then it might take 30 minutes for the, the signing at the end. Um, and, and you walk out with a, a, a summary of everything and then also the documents themselves. And, and that's pretty, I think, pretty typical of, of uh, uh, lawyers that are in my area. Um, and the whole process, you know, depending on how busy I am or how, how busy you are, it, uh, I try to get my, my plans done within a month, um, but sometimes it, it can drag on. Um, to two or three months, but that's about a, a guess as to the, the
0: the total time frame. Perfect. Fantastic. And then you also, and you do other things as well from a legal perspective. So I'd also encourage our listeners, what's it can oftentimes be nice to work with someone with the heart of a teacher. Nelson has the heart of a teacher. So it, if you do call, he may tell you, hey, I can't do that, but why don't you go here? Or yeah, I can put together that partnership doc for you. Or yeah, I can do that. He's done some legal work for the Robert Hunt Financial uh, megalopolis. So I, I, I think oftentimes, Nelson, it can just be, hey, just ask the question. You know, don't yes. be afraid. Don't be af- Just because you're going into an attorney's office that says they do X, Y, and Z, if they've got the heart of a teacher, as Nelson does, don't be afraid to just simply say, hey, look, high trust situation here. This is a high trust person. Just ask them, hey, what do you think about this? If, if you're in your business and you don't know, N- Nelson will can find you someone who can help or he can at least give you guidance on how to keep your legal structure simple. Uh, as, as, as possible as it may be. So thank you, Nelson, for coming in uh, and making the time for us. And we wish you the best in all of your future endeavors. Thank you so much, Robert.